Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, Welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer. I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. M-S-W Media. Hello, and welcome to The Daily Beans for Friday, January 19th, 2024. Today, Judge Chutkin shuts down Trump's motion to hold Jack Smith in contempt. Alina Haba intentionally ignored a court order in her cross-examination of E. Jean Carroll today. Texas ignores the Department of Homeland Security's ultimatum to cease and desist blocking federal agents from rendering aid in Eagle Pass, Texas. A Kentucky Republican has withdrawn his bill to legalize sex with first cousins. Conservative justices and lawyers ready a path for ending agency deference. Senator Menendez and his wife are asking for separate trials. The Department of Justice finds unimaginable failure in the Uvalde school shooting response. Netanyahu opposes a two-state solution. Congress passes a continuing resolution to fund the government until March, and the judge in the Georgia case schedules a hearing on accusations of prosecutorial misconduct. I'm your host, Allison Gill. 
Hey, everybody. Uh, Dana's out today. She will be back Monday. Fear not. I miss her as well. Don't worry. Uh, also, it is Fugelsang Friday. That means I'll be joined later in the show by John Fugelsang. He's the host of Tell Me Everything on Sirius XM Progress, channel 127, which you can hear weeknights at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 Pacific. He also has a podcast. Just search for John Fugelsang. If you don't have Sirius, you can hear his podcast for free. There is no patron happy hour tonight. It is my birthday tomorrow. I'm going to be 50, and I have some plans. Uh, you will get a weekly wrap-up, and you'll get a cleanup on all 45 bonus episode if you're a patron of that show, and you'll get Jack on Sunday as scheduled, and of course, Dana and I will be back Monday on The Beans. Um, speaking of patrons, RSVPs go out tomorrow for our get-together in D.C. on April 20th. They go out tomorrow, Saturday at noon Pacific, 3 Eastern. Um, we, I think everybody voted we're going to do a lottery. So we're going to keep the RSVPs open. Everybody who wants to go can sign up, and then we will randomly pick 150 people. I guess that is the best and easiest and fairest way to do it. Uh, and that we had everybody vote on it. And I think it was, gosh, like almost 80% of the people wanted to do the lottery. So that'll give you time to RSVP so you don't have to be first out of the box. And then we will pick 150 out of that. And that is, you know, we're treating you to dinner and drinks, cocktails and mocktails in D.C. April 20th. Uh, we're going to have special guest speakers, including, of course, Pete Strzok and Andy McCabe. Uh, we will have Glenn Kirshner join us, Olivia Troy, Harry Dunn, I think, unless he's out on the campaign trail, uh, Danny Hodges, and probably some more uh, guests will pop in. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Before we get to the news today, I wanted you to hear something that I heard today, and I just want to get it in as many ears as I possibly can. This is Natasha Alford on CNN country yeah. and to improve us every day, which she never actually says, DeSantis says it, and I'm surprised at that because that's part of our proud history as Republicans, the fight against slavery well, and struggle. Can I just say yeah, something, but, though? I mean, we yes. talk about this as if it is the past. We are looking at, we've covered stories where people have died, have been killed because of racism. Jacksonville, Florida, the Dollar Tree shooting. I mean, this is happening mm -hmm. right now. And this is not just the black community, right? You, you, the Japanese internment. I mean, those families and descendants are still here. My last name is Alford, not because my family chose that last name. That is the name of the slaveholding family that owned us. I know the plantation that we are from in South Carolina, and I am here. My father desegregated a school. He remembers those things. So why do we have to talk about it as if it is past? This is right now. The pain is real. The survivors of racism, we are here, right? And so if you don't have a message around that, that talks about the future, that talks about the present, you cannot leave this country. Well, Republicans do have a message around it. And it's that, to and, ignore it. it it's no. to say that we are colorblind, no, which and, does not and, and, solve and it, the but, problem. But it is to say that we are undoubtedly a better and stronger nation on this front today than we were 10, 20, 40, 50, 150, 180 years ago. We are undoubtedly better as an American people than we ever have been, and and that will be true again tomorrow. But and that, why I think is that? that was the but point why is making. it? It's not because we ignored it. It's because people called out what was uncomfortable, and they challenged the status quo, and they said we need to live up to what the American dream actually is. Those were the people who were demonized. We just celebrated Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King was killed. He was killed. He was not considered a favorite or a darling of America because he stood up against racism, against poverty. And actually, the greatest threat was that he was uniting poor white people, right, with poor people of color. 
That was the greatest threat to America, was that he was willing to bring us together. So again, we have to move past talking about this as if it is history, as if it's not happening right now. And when the Republican Party does this colorblind thing, you're gaslighting people. And they're going to react to that, and they're going to show it at the polls. All right, everybody, time for some quick hits. And to make a long story short, First up, Judge Chutkin in the D.C. coup case has handed Donald Trump another loss today. If you listen to the Jack podcast, you'll know that Trump filed a motion asking to hold Jack Smith in contempt for continuing to file pleadings while the D.C. trial is stayed. We know it is stayed pending the outcome of Donald Trump's immunity appeal. He thinks he has absolute total presidential immunity. Uh, and I still don't have... Uh, the the ruling from the D.C. Circuit Court on that. Uh, anyway, Judge Chuckin denied all of Trump's requests except one, that Jack Smith has to ask for special permission to file a pleading in the future. She said Jack Smith did not violate her stay order. Um, she said that he did nothing wrong, and then she modified the stay order. We'll cover that all this weekend, including the nine other things Trump asked for that got shot down and we'll cover it in detail on the Jack podcast on Sunday. Next up, Alina Haba went out of her way to violate a court order during her cross-examination of E. Jean Carroll. On January 9th, Judge Kaplan issued an order barring Trump and his lawyers from arguing certain things. And Alina Haba tried to argue a lot of them today. She was shut down each time through objections and by the judge. And we'll go over that all in detail on the next Clean Up on Aisle 45 podcast next Wednesday. I've also written about it in detail on Post. If you haven't signed up for Post yet, it's free. I have a link for you to do that in the show notes. I also have a link to my Threads account. You might want to start following me there as well. And I know Zuckerberg sucks, but so does Elon. Elon feels a little more Nazi than than Zuck, but I mean, they all suck. I, I understand that. Please know, I understand that. And if you don't want to decide it for threads, I get it. Uh, but I am building a following over on threads and on post. So sign up. Links in the show notes. Next up, Senator Bob Menendez and his wife are seeking separate trials on the bribery charges they each face in New York. Nadine Menendez's lawyers asked in papers filed late Monday for the severance on the grounds that the senator may want to testify at a trial scheduled to start in May and may divulge marital communications that she plans to keep a secret. Lawyers for Bob Menendez wrote that each spouse should face separate trials so that the senator does not provide information about marital communications during cross-examination that might be damaging to his wife's defense. We'll let you know what the judge decides. Next up, Judge McAfee down in Fulton County, that's the judge presiding over D.A. Fonnie Willis's racketeering and election interference case against former President Trump and a bunch of other people, has set a February 15th hearing date on misconduct allegations against D.A. Fonnie Willis. Defendant Mike Roman filed a motion to disqualify her, alleging she has a conflict of interest because of a personal relationship with prosecutor Nathan Wade. The judge has given D.A. Fonnie Willis until February 2nd to respond in writing to Roman's filing. So that hearing is February 15th. And Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Thursday rejected President Biden's calls to scale back Israel's military offensive in the Gaza Strip. And he also rejected the president's call to take steps to take steps towards the establishment of a Palestinian state after the war, a two-state solution, drawing an immediate scolding from the White House. Uh, it is time for Bibi to go. And I'm going to talk with John Fugelsang about that later. And Democrats to the rescue again. The U.S. House of Representatives on Thursday approved the stopgap bill to fund the federal government through early March and avert another government shutdown, sending it to President Joe Biden for final approval. 
The measure passed 314 to 108 with 106 Republicans and two Democrats in opposition. Earlier on Thursday, the Senate passed the bill easily, 77 to 18, ahead of the weekend deadline. All right, those are the quick hits. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. First up from the New York Times, a near total breakdown in policing protocols hindered the response to the 2022 school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, that left 21 people dead. And the refusal to rapidly confront the killer needlessly cost lives. That's from a Justice Department report. They concluded that Thursday after a nearly two-year investigation. The department blamed, quote, cascading failures of leadership, decision-making, tactics, policy, and training for the delayed and passive law enforcement response that allowed an 18-year-old gunman with a semi-automatic rifle to remain inside a pair of connected fourth-grade classrooms at Robb Elementary School for 77 minutes before he was confronted and killed. A cascading failure of leadership. I, I, I heard Frank Fogluzzi today on, on MSNBC saying he's never heard that kind of strength in language. Uh, and I know, you know, uh, generally, we we really want strong language, uh, but coming from the DOJ, um, according to Frank Fogluzzi, that is very strong language. Quote, the most significant failure, investigators concluded, was the decision by local police officials to classify the incident as a barricaded standoff rather than an active shooter sh- uh, scenario, which would have demanded instant and aggressive action. Almost all of the officials in charge that day have already been fired or have retired. Attorney General Merrick Garland, speaking to reporters in Uvalde, said that the officers who converged on the school within minutes of the attack intended to storm the classrooms, but were told to stand down. Quote, lives would have been saved and people would have survived if officers had acted quickly to confront the gunman. Uh, he, he, Mr. Garland related a timeline of several critical moments when officers outside the classrooms could have halted the rampage, but did not take action. The main takeaway from the investigation, Mr. Garland said, was that officers who responded to an active shooting scene need to, quote, immediately enter the room to stop the shooter with whatever weapons and tools the officers have with them, unquote. Now, since the shooting, blame for the delayed police confrontation with the gunman has shifted. In the immediate aftermath, the top state police official, Steve McGraw, blamed the local school police chief, Pete Arradondo. Then it turned out state police officers were also among those who failed to actively confront the gunman. In its report, the Justice Department focused largely on decisions by Mr. Arredondo, finding that his decisions delayed the response. The nearly 600-page report compiled from 260 interviews, 14,000 documents and videos. It represents the most comprehensive assessment to date of the killing spree that helped spur passage of the new federal gun control legislation and that continues to haunt a community traumatized by the slaughter and the inadequacy of the police response. The conclusions largely mirror those of the state investigation released last July. In accordance with department policy, it does not refer to the gunman by name. The federal report puts a particular focus on the actions of law enforcement officials in the aftermath of the massacre and outlines another set of mistakes and failures, including a a disorganized system for tracking the whereabouts of students, which led to confusion over whether they were safe and to one instance in which a parent of one victim was given false hope that her child was still alive. Investigators also identified repeated incidents captured on body cameras of officials and other onlookers roaming through the school in the days after the shooting, forcing crime scene investigators to continually stop their evidence collection. 
Associate Attorney General Vanita Gupta, who oversaw the investigation, said the shooting caused a loss of faith and trust in law enforcement. It was an unimaginable failure, she said. The delay in confronting the gunman meant that the 19 children and two teachers who were fatally shot did not receive immediate medical care. One teacher and at least one student who were found seriously wounded but alive in the classroom later died while being transported to hospitals. 17 others who were injured survived. That question, could lives have been saved through swifter action, still haunts many of the Uvalde families. It goes largely unanswered in the report to the frustration of people in the community. Leonard Sandoval, whose 10-year-old grandson, Javier Lopez, was killed, said he believed the boy was still alive when officers finally breached the classroom. Javier was loaded into an ambulance headed for the hospital in San Antonio. But he died when the ambulance reached the town of Hondo, 40 miles away from Uvalde and less than halfway to the hospital. Quote, if they would have put him in a helicopter, he would have made it out okay. That's what Mr. Sandoval said. They dropped the ball everywhere. Somebody needs to be held accountable and charged. They didn't do that. The local district attorney, Christina Mitchell, has been conducting an investigation to determine whether any state criminal charges should be brought. For some of the Uvalde families, like the parents of one of the survivors, Noah Orona, the findings supported what they had been saying since the shooting. Quote, it's not just us saying somebody failed, but now the federal government has come and said, hey, this was a colossal failure. That's what Oscar Orona, the boy's father, said. Justice Department officials initially said their investigation, led by the Department's Office of Community-Oriented Policing, would take about six months. The investigation turned out to be more complex, and information was harder to obtain than originally thought. That's according to an official familiar. After Mr. Garland spoke to reporters Thursday, some of the victims' families gathered outside. While the report provided many answers, Veronica Mata, whose daughter Tess died in the attack, said on behalf of the others that the fight for closure was far from over. Quote, we have nothing left but to fight for them. It's just heart, heart-wrenching. Next up from NBC. Texas is refusing to comply with a cease and desist letter from the Biden administration over actions by the state that have impeded U.S. Border Patrol agents from accessing part of the border with Mexico. In a letter to the Department of Homeland Security, Ken Paxton, the AG, rejected the Biden administration's request for the state to cease and desist its takeover of Shelby Park, an epicenter of Southwest border immigration in Eagle Pass. Quote, because the facts and law side with Texas, the state will continue utilizing its constitutional authority to defend her territory, and I will continue defending those lawful efforts in court, Paxton wrote. Okay, let's break that down for a second. Because the facts and law side with Texas, incorrect. The, fa- the, the facts and the law do not side with Texas. The Constitution is clear. Border security is a federal issue, not a state issue. He goes on to say, the state will continue utilizing its constitutional authority. Are you talking about the state constitution? <laughs> because the federal, the, the, the constitution of the United States does not give you authority to defend her territory. And I will continue defending those lawful efforts in court. These are not lawful efforts. 
His trial starts in April, by the way. When reached for comment, a Department of Homeland Security spokesperson referred NBC News to the Department of Homeland Security General Counsel, Jonathan Myers, letter this week that directed the state to stop blocking the Border Patrol's full access to about two and a half miles of the border occupied by the state's National Guard. DHS officials said Saturday that a woman and two children drowned in the Rio Grande after Border Patrol agents, quote, were physically barred by Texas officials from entering the area under orders from Republican Governor Greg Abbott. Their blood is on his hands. The Texas Military Department disputed the DHS statement, saying its personnel were aware of the distress report, but had not detected any distressed migrants. Mm -hmm. A White House spokesperson criticized Abbott's immigration policies in response to the drownings, saying in a statement this week that his political stunts are cruel, inhumane, and dangerous. And as it turns out, deadly. In Wednesday's letter, Paxton said any suggestion the state was responsible for the deaths is vile. And you should now, uh, you should be aware, completely inaccurate. Sorry, Ken. You are the vile one. The Biden administration has threatened to refer the matter to the Justice Department if Texas denies Border Patrol agents full access to the area. They have also said that they would not rule anything out, and I hope one of the things they're considering is federalizing the Texas National Guard so that President Biden can order them to stand down. I'm also hoping the criminal investigation is opened here when it's referred to the DOJ and we don't just see another lawsuit. Next up is from Mark Sherman at the Associated Press. Conservative Supreme Court justices on Wednesday voiced support for weakening the power of federal regulators, but it was not clear whether the majority would overturn a precedent that has guided American law for four decades over everything from the safety of food and drugs to environmental protection. Billions of dollars are potentially at stake in front of a court that, like the rest of the federal judiciary, was remade during Donald Trump's presidency by conservative interests that were motivated as much by weakening the regulatory state as social issues, including abortion. And we know it is well-funded. The court heard three and a half hours of arguments in two challenges brought by commercial fishermen to a fee requirement, though the facts of their cases were barely discussed in the courtroom. Instead, the focus was on whether the court should overturn the 1984 case, colloquially known as Chevron, a decision that has been the basis for upholding a wide range of regulations, public health, workspace safety, and consumer protections. Lower courts used the Chevron decision to uphold a 2020 National Marine Fisheries Service rule that herring fishermen pay for government-mandated observers who track their fish intake. Two of Trump's appointees, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, led the attack on the Chevron decision, which says that... When laws aren't crystal clear, federal agencies and the experts that serve in them should be allowed to fill in the details as long as they come up with a reasonable interpretation. Gorsuch noted that some judges invoke the Chevron doctrine frequently and others not at all. Quote, shouldn't that be a clue that something needs to be fixed here? That's what Gorsuch asked Solicitor General Elizabeth Prelogar, who's defending the decision on behalf of the Biden administration. When Prelogar talked about the shock to the legal system that would result from overturning such a long-standing and far-reaching precedent, Kavanaugh suggested that Chevron is to blame for the regulatory flip-flops that happen when a president of one party replaces a president of another. And I'm going to take a break from reading this article to remind you about all of the executive orders 
and l- looks into agencies that President Biden administration went through, overturning previous executive orders, especially in the EPA and the NIH and the CDC and the Department of Health and Human Services. I mean, the scientists in these agencies should be the ones making this policy. But it seems like the very well-funded Leonard Leo Dark Money Federalist Society judges disagree. Quote, the reality of how this works is that Chevron itself ushers in shocks to the system every four or eight years whenever a new administration comes in, Kavanaugh said. Yeah, it's c- c- that's the uh, elections have consequences. That's what we, th- that's the shit we vote on. The outcome seems likely to come down to Chief Justice John Roberts and Justice Amy Coney Barrett, Trump's third appointee. Barrett suggested a flood of litigation challenging longstanding regulations that might result in overturning Chevron. The court could stop short of jettisoning the Chevron decision and instead instruct lower courts to be less deferential to agencies, which might make it harder to sustain regulations. That outcome would be much less than what the conservative and business interests backing the Supreme Court cases want. Big oil, tobacco, all that. The court's three liberal justices seemed like sure votes to preserve the decision. Justice Elena Kagan used the example of a hypothetical law dealing with artificial intelligence to say it's unreasonable to expect Congress to write laws with too much specificity, especially with the pace of technological change. Quote, Congress knows that there are going to be gaps because Congress can hardly see a week in the future with respect to this subject, let alone a year or a decade in the future. That's what Kagan said. She added, judges should know what they don't know. And I'm immediately reminded of this Judge Kasowitz or whatever his name is down in Texas to ban mephiprestone. He doesn't fucking know. He's not a doctor. He's not a scientist. Judges should know what they don't know. Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson said getting rid of Chevron could empower judges to rule in favor of their own policy preferences when evaluating regulations. Quote, I'm worried about the courts becoming uber legislators, she said. That was a concern that Justice John Paul Stevens voiced in his opinion for the court in 1984, explaining why they should play a limited role. The court ruled six to zero with three justices recused. Remember when justices used to recuse? Quote, judges are not experts in the field and we're not part of either political branch of government, he wrote. But the current high court, with its 6-3 conservative majority, has been increasingly skeptical of the powers of federal agencies. Justice Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito, along with Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, have questioned the Chevron decision. The justices haven't invoked Chevron since 2016, but lower courts continue to do so. In recent years, conservative justices have shot down a vaccine mandate and Biden's student loan forgiveness program and also restricted the Environmental Protection Agency's ability to fight climate change by regulating carbon dioxide emissions from power plants. This term, the justices are also weighing challenges to aspects of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and the Securities and Exchange Commission. No oversight, no regulation. Opponents of the Chevron Doctrine argue that judges apply it too often to rubber stamp decisions made by government bureaucrats. That's why we elect 
who we elect. Judges must exercise their own authority and judgment to say what the law is. That's what lawyer Roman Martinez said on behalf of the company that owns the Rhode Island-based Relentless and Persistence Fishing Boats. Quote, it mandates judicial bias and encourages agency overreach. And by removing key checks on executive power, it threatens individual liberty, he said. I'll tell you what threatens individual liberty. Our individual liberty to enjoy clean air and clean water. And, and I, mean, I could go on. Well-regulated medications. I mean, I, it, there's a million things that this would undo. Now, defending the rulings that upheld the fees, the Biden administration said that overturning Chevron would produce a convulsive shock to the legal system. Quote, Chevron gives appropriate weight to expertise, often of scientific or technical nature, that federal agencies can bring to bear in interpreting federal statutes. That's what Prelegar wrote in the Supreme Court filing. Environmental, health advocacy groups, civil rights organizations, organized labor, and Democrats on the national and state level are urging the court to leave Chevron alone. Gun, e-cigarette, farm, timber, home building groups are among the business groups supporting gutting Chevron. Conservative interests that also intervened in recent high court cases limiting regulation of air and water pollution are backing the fishermen as well. Anybody who wants to profit at the expense of your safety. Now, the justice has heard two cases on the same issue because Jackson is recused from one, a New Jersey, uh, from New Jersey. She took part in it at an earlier stage when she was an appellate court judge, so she recused. The full court is participating in the case from Rhode Island, which the justices added to their docket several months later. A decision is expected sometime around June. It's frightening. And finally, and I can't believe I'm about to read this headline. This is uh, my good friend Sarah K. Burris over at Raw Story. Survivor winner and Kentucky Republican lawmaker Nick Wilson wants to legalize sex with first cousins as one of his flagship legislative issues in the 2024 session. That's according to Newsweek. The Kentucky General Assembly introduced a bill Tuesday. He said the law would strike first cousin from the list of familial relationships defined as unlawful incest in Kentucky. It would also remove incest as a Class D felony for some cases unless it's committed with a person who is less than 12 years old in which case it's a Class C. The age of consent in the state is 16. According to the current state law, a person is guilty if they have a sexual relation uh, relationship with a person they are knowingly aware is a parent, child, grandparent, grandchild, great-grandparent, great-grandchild, uncle, aunt, nephew, niece, brother, sister, first cousin, ancestor, or descendant. Ancestor? Now, there's an update to this story from Sarah Burris. Rep. Nick Wilson has withdrawn the bill, said he will refile it, explaining removing the cousins was a, that was inadvertent. I didn't mean to remove the cousins. And that he had intended to update the existing law to add sexual contact with a minor to the statute, which currently only mentions intercourse with a minor. He says he had not intended to legalize relationships with cousins. In a Facebook update, he wrote, currently, incest only applies in cases of intercourse. So sexual touching, groping by uncles, stepdads, or anyone with a familial relationship is not included, he said. My bill makes that kind of sexual contact a Class D felony. Unless the victim is under 12, then it increases to a Class C. 
I didn't mean to take cousins off the list of who you shouldn't fuck, is what he said. He went on to say that when drafting the bill, there was an accidental change, inadvertent change, which struck first cousins from the list of relationships included in the statute. And he said he failed to add it back in. I accidentally removed it. Okay. All right. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, survivor guy. Very interesting. Thanks, Sarah K. Burroughs at Raw Story for that. And um, we'll be right back with John Fugelsang for Fugelsang Fridays. And then after that, we'll have the good news. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It is Fugelsang Fridays, and that means we are joined by my good friend, host of the Tell Me Everything show on Sirius XM Progress, channel 127. You can hear that weeknights, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 Pacific. And he also has a podcast called The John Fugelsang Show. He is joining us by phone from a car because he is on the move. So I just wanted to give you a heads up in case it sounds a little bit different than normal. Please welcome my good friend, John Fugelsang. Thank you. I finally found the quality of audio that matches the quality of the material I deliver. So thank you very much. That is not true, my friend. Incorrect. And I'm going to call you out on it every time. But, you know. Oh, let me be a little self-deprecating, please. You know, I was a comedian for 10 years. I love the self-deprecating humor. I wanted to talk to you today about something that's been on my mind. I can't get it out of my head all week. And that is the the thought of um, the Texas National Guard physically blocking federal agents from saving the lives of a mother and two children who drowned in the Rio Grande. This is an Eagle Pass where Governor Greg Abbott in Texas has ordered the Texas National Guard to physically block Border Patrol agents and federal agents from rendering aid and and doing their job in general. So, So they had until Wednesday night to stand down, Texas did, and they refused. The DHS under Biden sent a letter a few days before that, a couple days before that, saying, if you don't stand down, we're going to take this seriously. We're going to refer to the Department of Justice and keep other options open. I have been saying they need to federalize the Guard in Texas and order them to stand down. They might have other solutions. We just haven't heard of those yet. But I can't get that image out of my head. And I was wondering what you thought of it. Well, it's been with me all week as well. Their um, their names, the children, were uh, Yorle Ruby, who was 10 years old. And Jonathan Agustin Briones de la Sancha, who was eight years old, they're dead now. And as you pointed out, yeah, um, Border Patrol agents, they're the good guys here. They were made aware of the migrants' problems by the Mexican government. They were not allowed to enter the area from the U.S. side because Greg Abbott has decided that's the Texas border, not the American border. That's pretty much what it comes down to. Greg Abbott thinks that's his border, not the border of the United States. And um, the the White House said that Governor Abbott's political stunts are cruel, inhumane and dangerous. We already knew that. But their main point is that U.S. Border Patrol must have access to the border to enforce our laws. We're about to have a good old Confederate jamboree of states' rights versus America happening again. But this is sedition, like literally. They're doing it. And I don't know. They should refer this to the DOJ so Merrick Garland can make them tea, I guess, and give them a nice foot massage. Um, Perhaps, you know, uh, uh, maybe some uh, exfoliating. I don't know. Um, But yeah, as far as federalizing the members of the Texas National Guard, I'm pretty sure the president has the duty 
to do that and to use the Texas Guard to escort DHS and ICE uh, to protect the agents while they're doing their jobs, because I'm pretty sure President Kennedy did this in Alabama 60 years ago. He sure did. None of this has made America safer. The Constitution, as you know, because you're the smart person in this conversation, but my interns tell me the Constitution covers everyone on U.S. territory, not just U.S. citizens. So this is a crime and they followed an illegal order. But there's two things we have to remember about this. And with all matters dealing with Texas and the border, number one, the Republican Party does not care about undocumented immigration. Let me say it again. Republicans, the Republican Party, not the voters, the politicians don't care. As I've said on your show before, there's two signs at the border, a little sign saying keep out and a big sign saying help wanted. If they wanted to end this, Allison, they would start locking up the Caucasians who are dangling all those jobs. It's supply and demand. They cross the border for the jobs. They'll never do that. Whenever they go in and raid a, a meatpacking plant and they talk about how they arrested 500 illegals, they never arrest the Americans who are counting the money in the back rooms. This is the racket that has been perpetuated, and they can't. If you got rid of all undocumented immigration, our economy would collapse and a salad would cost $75. Now, that might not be a problem for a lot of Trump supporters I know who don't really have a fondness for salads. But the point is, they don't want the problem to stop. They would work with the Democrats. They tried 10 years ago, and then Hannity ran a focus group that called it amnesty, so Marco Rubio ran away from his own bipartisan agreement. They don't want a solution. Republicans could end this tomorrow. They can't. They've already lost so much by catching the truck that was abortion rights. And now they're terrified of what will happen if they actually have if, if they actually were to lose this as a vote getting mechanism. If the Republican Party had anything to offer non-millionaires in terms of policy, they talk about it, but they don't. It's going to yeah. be existential threats. It's all racism. The majority of undocumented immigrants overstay their visas, but you'll never hear the Republican plan to get rid of that. There's 50,000 undocumented Irish people in this country. There is no plan to drive out the Irish people. This is all about brown people at the border who are coming here because they're fleeing our drug war or they're coming to be hired by our job creators. That's the whole deal. And the second thing to remember is that Greg Abbott is not Christian. The Bible has one rule about immigration or borders. Welcome the stranger, Old Testament and new. You are commanded to welcome the stranger and treat the immigrant as if he was one of your own. Last week, Abbott was on uh, on radio and he said, the only thing we're not doing, we're not shooting people who come across the border because the Biden administration would charge us with murder. And he's right, because the Biden administration considers these humans to be humans. But we've had the right wing do a four decade campaign of dehumanizing refugees at our southern border by calling them the slur illegals. And they call them illegals so you won't see them as humans. But I ask your listeners, can you think of any time Fox News has ever referred to a white lawbreaker as an illegal ever? That's a slur exclusively reserved for brown people at our border. And remember, immigrants commit crimes at a lower rate than natural born citizens. Illegal immigrants commit crimes at lower rates than natural born citizens. Why the Democratic Party is terrified to call this out is so beyond me. Yeah, I don't I don't know either. And, and the last thing I, I want to see is for this to get referred to the Department of Justice and for them to just file another lawsuit to try to stop it, that will just go up to the courts and languish in appeals and had, you know, all the probably all the way up to Supreme Court. We don't see any action in, in two years. Oh, Allison, I'm sure Attorney General Ken Paxson will be completely reasonable on this and be Solomonic in his wisdom when he adjudicates. 
Oh, for, yeah, for sure. Um, I think his trial is in April. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, the next thing I wanted to talk to you about is um, the the report that came out from the Department of Justice on the Uvalde shooting at Robb Elementary School, a cascade of failures and that their delay in action cost lives. I'm interested to see what the follow up is on this, if there will be any. The follow up will be absolutely nothing. Um, we saw 25 officers, uh, 16 sheriff's deputies, 149 Border Patrol officers, 13 U.S. Marshals, and 91 state policemen couldn't stop a teenager who was legally allowed to own a machine designed to kill lots of humans really fast. That's the system we've designed. That's the system we've got. That's the system enough of us want that it stays in place. So it doesn't matter how many kids die because all of those dead children are acceptable to the Republican Party. An AR-15 is not your God-given right. It's your goddamn entertainment. That's all it is. Entertainment. No one's ever foiled a bank robbery or stopped a home invasion that I know of with an AR-15. I'm sure there's been one or two, but nothing Nothing to stop the civilian death toll in this country that none of our capitalist allies deal with because they don't let civilians handle these weapons. And we don't let gang members buy white phosphorus. We don't let criminals have tactical nukes, which means we've already accepted some limitations on our Second Amendment rights. This is a report about the failure. This is a report about how this could have been prevented. And this report will achieve absolutely nothing. And the people who need to read it won't read it. And maybe some folks will feel better about themselves. The report's there. It'll show our, our national shame for the world to read. I'm under no illusion that this report will do anything except remind us who the bad guys are. Hmm. And finally, before I let you go, um, well, actually, two more things. I wanted to talk about E. Jean Carroll uh, and yeah. her bravery. Um, and following her on um, being cross-examined by a Trump lawyer on the stand, her sexual... Um, past being brought up, all this victim blaming, uh, being told uh, she's only doing this to get more money and more recognition, um, having to answer those questions, um, kind of for the rest of us, uh, makes her one of the bravest women I know. And I, I wanted to know your thoughts on the E. Jean trial so far. You know, um, full disclosure, I've known E. Jean for over 25 years. We did a we did an NBC morning show together uh, when I was very starting out. Um, she accused Trump of rape. Trump said publicly that she was too ugly to rape. She sued him for libel. He found a way to make the rest of us pay for his legal defense. Um, you know, I put I wrote a little poem about it uh, earlier uh, last year uh, called The Trials of Come Over Caligula um, because, <laughs> you know, he defamed her. So she sued him once again. Last time she got five million. This time she wants 10. She's 80. She's got nothing to hide. She doesn't mind her sex life being revealed for the world to see. I mean, it's sort of like Joe Coy's terrible joke at the about Barbie at the Golden Globes. You know, everything feminists tell us about awful, shitty, regressive men, they keep on showing us. And Donald Trump can't stop defaming her. So I hope she keeps on suing him, just like I hope Shea Moss and Ruby Bridges keep on suing Rudy Giuliani. He can't stop. But it's important to remember, Judge Lewis Kaplan said he did commit rape. So if you're trying to call him a racist, but it autocorrects to rapist, you're OK. You don't need to go back and fix it. Both words work. But again, this is 
five million he's paying her. Now it's going to be another ten million, not to be confused with the twenty-six million he had to pay for stealing from bets, or the two million he had to pay for stealing from bets with his charity, or the one point six million for stealing from the state of New York. Eugene Carroll, she came on my radio show not long ago, and you know, she knows everything they're going to say about her, and she's willing to do it. And I don't know any men with that level of strength. No, me neither. And Ruby Freeman, by the way, you said, I think you said Ruby Bridges, yeah. but yes. Well, Ruby Freeman is also suing Rudy for defamation. And the more they keep defaming them, I hope they keep on suing them for more. Right. And I actually hope that uh, both of the judges in both of these cases uh, order puts an injunction order in to prevent both Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump from continuing uh, to defame any of these women um, under the penalty of, of contempt and perjury yep. uh, or not perjury, uh, contempt and, and fines, uh, may perhaps jail time. Um, I know that uh, Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss have asked for that. Um, and I, I expect Robbie Kaplan, who is E. Jean's amazing lawyer, to probably ask for that as well, because he continues to defame her. And he does it right. from court and from the courthouse steps and from Truth Social while he's sitting in court. Uh, and that has been brought up in this trial. My God. Can I just say once again, hooray for the judicial branch, because that's what this is. Citizens taking the law legally into their own hands and using the courts for redress of grievances. Democracy 101. This is our system of government. We can't keep on waiting for law enforcement or politicians or Batman or Gandhi to come save us. <laughs> right. Exactly. Or an attorney general or a special counsel. Um, anyone who says one person can save us is looking to be a dictator. Um, one more thing before I let you go, and I'm sorry, I'm holding you on the line here. Bibi Netanyahu has come out today and, and refused a two-state solution and says he wants uh, that Israel uh, and his government to control the land. And he actually used the phrase from the river to the sea. Um, and that, to me, um, I mean, you know, I've never... Uh, liked or supported Bibi Netanyahu and his alt-right, right-wing, fascist-type uh, government that he's trying to run there by gutting the judiciary, which fortunately so far has failed. Uh, but it, it sounds to me like it might be time to stop sending aid or not send additional aid. I, you know, I, I know that they still haven't worked out an aid package unless it's conditioned on working toward a two-state solution. I agree. Tell me what. And by the way, we're, there are plenty of folks on the Palestinian side are saying that a two state solution will never happen. and is a pipe dream. What else would work? What other possible scenario exists beyond a free and independent Palestine that controls its own borders, recognizes Israel's right to exist and a free and safe Israel that isn't afraid of their neighbor? That's the only possible option. Anything else is ethnic cleansing. And it's pretty amazing that they're dividing people on the left so much between ethnic cleansing from Israel's side or ethnic cleansing from Palestine's side. And when I say Israel and Palestine, I don't mean the people. I mean the extreme religious conservatives running their governments. Mm -hmm. Once again, we see when you allow extreme right-wing religious people to run a government, I don't care if it's Muslim, Jew, or Christian here, what will happen is the opposite of what all those holy books teach. The liberal and moderate Muslims, Jews, and Christians are getting along just fine right now around the world with no drama, and that's why you never see them on TV. It's the right-wing extreme fundamentalists of all the world religions that are doing this. So, you know, it'd be great to see Biden make foreign aid conditional. We'll see if Netanyahu 
allows Biden to do that? Because at this point, I, I kind of feel like I didn't vote for Bibi Netanyahu, but he's calling the shots in our country's White House. Yeah. And Netanyahu, Putin um, and, and that Iran, they do not want Biden to be reelected. No, we're in the world, North Korea, all of them want Trump back. China wants Trump back. Russia wants Trump back. Think about that. They want to take America down and they have the clown to do it with. And our racists are too racist to see that. They're just playing right into the hands of the other strong men because authoritarians, I mean, it's the one thing that unites all Trump supporters. They'd rather have a strong man than have a representative democracy. Yeah, well, we'll keep following it. And I appreciate all of your commentary, my friend. Thank you for coming on today oh, and talking you. to us and participating in Fugal Sang Fridays. Everybody, you can catch him on Sirius XM Progress, uh, Channel 127. That's weeknights at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 Pacific or if you don't have Sirius XM, you can always listen to his podcast, The John Fugelsang Show, which I highly recommend. Thank you, my friend, so much. Have a wonderful weekend. Just want to remind your listeners, 93% of registered Iowa Republicans did not vote for their president <laughs> in the caucus this week. 93% didn't vote for Trump. And I can't wait for Trump to not pay Alina Haba. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> Thank you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, if you want to play what the mutt, cat me if you can, opine on the bovine, what the heck wine, what's the model of your oxalotl, what the hell is in that shell, or just what the shell, or any animal guessing game you want to send us photos for, please do that. If you have a shout out to a loved one, a shout out for yourself, a self shout out. Uh, kids, parents, shout out to anybody, spouse, partner, self, anyone, shout outs. We love shout outs. If you have a story for us about student debt relief and student debt forgiveness, we want to hear from you. Uh, if you have a local business in your area you'd like to shout out, uh, or your small business, or your big business, well, who knows, maybe we've got some corporate CEOs in the house, uh, send that in to us. Dissertation titles, theses, frog orgies, baby pictures, anything at all you want to send us. And if you don't have pod pet tax to pay, you can send us a photo and some information on an adoptable pet in your area. Or just give a shout out to a local no-kill shelter, something like that. Whatever you want to send to us, send to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. All right, first up from Anonymous, pronouns she and her. Hello, you beautiful legumes. I have a beans mondegreen. <laughs> a a Mondabine was listening to a song by Blur yesterday, singing Got My Head Shaved by a Kemboche. Now, never knew what a Kemboche was, so I looked up the lyrics, and it's I Got My Head Checked by a Jumbo Jet. This is why you should enunciate. Yeah, I thought it was Got My Head Shaved. I didn't think it was checked either. I know that Blur song. That's so interesting. Got my head checked by a jumbo jet. It's still, yours makes just as much sense, anonymous, to be honest. Pod bet taxes, Lily, aka Lulu, aka Boob Stomper. I feel you. I feel you in the depths of my soul when you say Boob Stomper, anonymous. What a beautiful baby. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for the Monda Bean. All right, next up, a few people in Florida send in pronunciation corrections, which is good news. 
that we may have engaged listeners in Florida. Hey, what's up, Florida? This one's from David. I submitted a correction with haste this morning from the car. You can ignore that one. I have pet tax now. Oh, and additional compliments. Well, thank you, David. Hello, gorgeous gals. I wanted to gently give a correction on the pronunciation of Florida County uh, that you mentioned on Thursday's episode. It's pronounced Osceola. Uh, Not Osella, Osceola. Leviosa County is what I'm going to call it from now on. Uh, It's named for the Native American leader whose name means black drink crier. Very cool. In 1836, uh, Osceola, I'll get this right, Osceola led a small group of warriors in the Seminole resistance during the Second Seminole War when the United States tried to remove the tribe from their lands in Florida to Indian Territory west of the Mississippi River. They were Osceola counties and towns in Florida, Iowa, Michigan, Indiana, and New York. Osceola. As part of the compliment sandwich, I've included pictures of our two rescue kitties, Julius and Floyd. We kept their given names, Orange Julius he is the Ossicat, for obvious reasons. And pretty boy Floyd is the Turkish van. After the 1930s bank robber, we assume, because he's handsome and scrappy. They will be eight years old in August, and they rule the roost. Finally, Pete Struck isn't the only smoke show on these podcasts. AG and DG deserve some love, too. Respectfully from, respectfully from a very gay listener. Thank you for all you do. <laughs> Thank you so much, David. Osceola, Osceola. I will get it. I promise. Thank you. An incredible backstory too. Thank you for the history lesson. Next up from Sarah G, she and her. This is a shout out to Janine Cook, a writer and activist who celebrates black women authors and black women in history at bookstores uh, she opened in Philadelphia and nearby Collingswood, New Jersey. In addition to hosting discussions and other author events, The shops bring musicians to perform, including choirs that sing songs that Harriet Tubman used to communicate with slaves escaping along the Underground Railroad. Janine's stores have become social and cultural hubs in their respective communities, Uh, though you can also shop online. Janine has a genius for promoting her stores and authors worthy of reading, even in challenging times. COVID hit weeks after she opened Harriet's bookshop in Philadelphia, so she delivered books to nearby customers on horseback gaining attention from the media and folks like Oprah Winfrey and Kelly Clarkson along the way. Brilliant. The Philly store is named for Tubman, while the New Jersey store is Ida's bookshop in honor of journalist Ida B. Wells. In October, Janine even opened a pop-up bookshop in Paris. That's France, for crying out loud, where she was leading a symposium honoring Josephine Baker. I love Josephine Baker, the cabaret dancer, civil rights leader, and World War II spy. I was privileged to get to know Janine when I wrote an article about her for the alumni magazine at the university where I work. An ambitious and fierce sweetheart, Janine is demonstrating how independent bookstores can find success. She's simply too amazing not to share with the Beans community. Links for the curious will be in the show notes. OurSisterBookshops.com and the Josephine Baker Symposium. There's a long link for that and Drexel Magazine profile at drexelmagazine.org slash 2023 slash Janine-Cook. And Janine is spelled J-E-A-N-N-I-N-E. Thank you so much, Sarah. That's incredible. Horseback, way to market. That's fantastic. Next up from Anonymous, pronouns she and they. Thank you for all you do, not only in providing factual information with appropriately sweary commentary, but also for your appreciation of all pets. 
My good news is the rescue of this beautiful old, oh, these beautiful older mares, plural. The barn where my daughter rode and worked was planning to close, so was seeking homes for their equine staff. We adopted Zoe, the gray, and Livy, the brown chestnut. With a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, mostly but not exclusively sweat, We've got 10 years worth of household junk out of our old barn and replaced our broken down fence so we could give these ladies a comfy retirement. Oh, that's amazing. If you're ever in ex-urban Maryland, you can find me squawking and bopping to classic rock as I relocate, frankly, diluvial levels of manure out of their stalls. Here are some headshots of them enjoying the first snow of the winter. Look at the babies. Oh, chestnut, beautiful color. And the gray. So a lovely. Thank you. Thank you, Anonymous. Incredible. Next up from Alicia, pronouns she and her. Happy birthday, AG. My schnauzer Coco is celebrating a birthday too. She's 14. Thank you for covering progressive causes. In Tennessee, it's difficult being blue and red state, so your coverage helps the despair. Alicia, Tennessee is awesome. I'm so jealous you guys have Phil Williams. I wish we had one. I wish we had a Phil Williams in every town. USA. Look at this sweet baby schnauzer. It's a schnauzer party. It's a schnauzer party. Thank you for sending that. Next up, Anonymous, she and her. I listen to all your pods and affiliated podcasts is almost the only news anymore. From your news, I have a leaping off place to research deeper into stories I choose to follow. I'm so tired of punditry presented as news. Just give me the news already. (laughs) You also cover stories no one else is. So I appreciate that. There's a couple of lovely litter mates. Uh, these are a couple, a couple of lovely littermates. The lady they were rescued from, along with three other littermates, were put outside at four weeks in the hopes that the coyotes would take care of them, unquote. Fuck. These two are left, and they're so wonderful together. Hey, if you get one, two are actually easier. It's a, In a perfect world, they find a home together, but not mandatory. You, I will, I back you up on this, Anonymous, because they will have each other to play with instead of your shoes and your couch and your wall and your baseboards (laughs) and everything else. Two puppies is better than one. They're in the San Diego area, Encinitas, to be more precise. Thanks for offering this spot for animals needing homes. If you're interested in adopting these pups, Leo and Oso, please fill out an application at amazingstrayrescue.org. We'll have a link in the show notes for that as well. Look how flippin' cute. I can say fucking on my own podcast. Look how fucking cute these little babies are. One's got up ears. One's got flop ears. They're adorable. Adopt them together. Somebody want two puppies? Now's your chance. Thank you so much, Anonymous. And from Kanai, pronouns he and him. So many people wished you a happy birthday and said lovely things that we could not include them all. And it felt wrong to single anyone out without including everyone. Please know there's a huge group of people out here who are happier and smarter because you're around. And I'm one of them. I'm proud to call you boss friend. Thanks for everything and happy birthday, Allison. That's our network manager, producer, my right hand, Kanai. Uh, That was a nice surprise. Thank you, Kanai. Again, a little choked up. Everybody, um, thank you so much for sending all this stuff in. And thank you for all the birthday wishes that Kanai said you guys sent. There were too many to read. Thank you so much. I don't know what to say, except I'll see you 
at the you know on Sunday for the Jack podcast and patrons the weekly wrap up best birthday present you could get me become a patron you seriously um, helps us so much we're like NPR over here we're independent media right so thank you you will get ad free episodes and um, all the other benefits and bonuses I'm going on tour we're taking the show on tour this summer and fall. And um, if you're a patron, you'll get um, to have VIP meet and greet tickets where you can come and ha- have a cocktail or a mocktail with us, with me, uh, before the show, before the stage show. Um, we're coming to most major cities, um, and uh, I think we're going to squeeze Portland in this time. I'd like to thank my pals in the band Weedis for hooking us up with a very cool tour manager. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. You also get these episodes early if you're a patron. You get the RSVP to our uh, big annual gathering. We're having our first one this April, April 20th in DC. Dinner's on us. Pete, you know, and I already told you all the guests that are going to be there. Um, There's all sorts of cool benefits. And I think you even get like, if you sign up for Patreon, I think we have like mugs and stickers and shit, like all sorts of stuff that we'll send you. Anyway, um, plus plus you get the good feeling of supporting independent media. Um, you help us um, pay amazing wages and benefits and all that good stuff. And we really, really appreciate you. That would be the best birthday gift I think you could get me if you can swing it. And if you can't swing it, we have people donating one-year premium memberships. And you can find that out by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking, scrolling down and clicking on Patrons Helping Patrons. We've had, I think, nearly a 1,000 donated year-long subscriptions so far. So you can either donate a subscription there. I think it's 36 bucks for a whole year. Or you can sign up on a list to to be given one of these gifted Patreon premium subscriptions. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, more of you. Um, you guys are all so very generous with that. And, and I just... I. This community is amazing. Thank you for the birthday wishes. I'm rambling on. I will be back in your ears for the beans with Dana on Monday. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. Oh, take care of your family and bring someone with you. I know that's out of order, but that's okay. It's my birthday. I'm AG and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, 
How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.